0: Welcome to Life, L-I-F-E, Luxury in Full Effect. I'm David Frangione. I'm here with Justin Lee. And this is the show where we interview the people operating at the top of the luxury market, from entertainment, real estate, celebrity industries, and everything in between. Together, we'll hear their life stories and how they got to where they are today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life, L-I-F-E, Luxury in Full Effect. We are your hosts. I'm David Frangione with my partner in crime, Justin Lee. Say hola. Hola, hola. And today we're very excited because we have with us Douglas Hansen. Douglas is an award-winning architect and designer. In 1998, Douglas founded the firm Hansen LA Architecture of course, in LA, and has since designed some of the most recognizable buildings in California and has worked on a multitude of just awesome projects. We're real excited. Douglas, thank you and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. No, it's our pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. Share with us, when did you realize that you have the passion that you have for what you do in design and architecture? And how did it get seeded and you found it and then we'll kind of evolve from there as you turned it into a career? Sure.
1: I mean, I think from the beginning, I wanted to be an architect. So that actually made it pretty easy. And then I had a vision of of kind of the types of buildings I wanted to work on and where in the world I wanted to work. And this all kind of started growing up in a very remote corner of North Dakota. So I found my way out of there and ultimately kind of grew up in Chicago and, and many other parts of the world.
0: And when you say that you had that inspiration and passion to be an architect from a very young age, like how young?
1: As long as I can remember. I mean, before nine, 10 years old.
2: Yeah, it really is. And David, Douglas, we've had a few interviews with some architects and that's kind of the one common denominator that I'm so fascinated to hear wow. that everybody who is an architect knew From day one, really, we hear a lot of Legos starting with Legos that they wanted to be an architect. And I I love that. I mean, that really shows you're living out your passion from day one. And did that start with you, like as a kid putting things together? Did you find yourself fascinated by buildings and building and all that stuff at a really young age?
1: Yeah, actually, you know, I would, it wasn't even as formal as Legos, but it was sticks in the ground and, You know, little matchbox cars and making these, and I remember the first time I went to. We had one architect in this little town, and I went and asked him if I could get a model building kit.
2: And of course, architect
1: don't have model building kits you know we start with paper and wood and we build models because we design it so i didn't know very much about it i started building things very young
2: did you know an architect did you see it like where did how did you even know what an architect was like where did that come from
1: i think there were a couple buildings that just fascinated me actually not great historical buildings but like the john hancock center in chicago i just remember seeing this amazing structure and thinking my god how do they even do that like how do they figure that out you know it seemed very international it seemed like it was somehow it, it would take an amazing group of people to to put things together. And I think that was the curiosity is that this would give me an opportunity to work with other interesting people.
0: And you went from North Dakota to Chicago, and then how did the trek end up in L.A.? where you formed your firm?
1: Yeah. Well, so I went to Chicago and then I ended up on a project in London shortly after I arrived there. So I spent a couple of years working in central London on a project. And then from there, ended up on a project in Barcelona. And that's when we brought Frank Gary in and uh, the client pushed back for a long time and said, no, no, this isn't going to happen. It was a New York client. And we finally got Frank Gary in and then I became kind of the liaison So we did a tower and Frank was doing a really small piece of the project. And then he came up with this fish and I became the liaison between Frank's office and Skidmore. And then ultimately Frank convinced me to move to Los Angeles, become part of his office. And he just won the competition to do the museum in Bilbao. So it was a, a perfect, Kind of time for me to come, my wife, not so much. She was pregnant with our first child. I always imagined living in Chicago, so we arrived in LA a few months before the baby was born and been here now for 27 years.
0: Wow, and Frank Geary was the catalyst to get you, yeah, he that was, that worked with cool. you. Obviously, he was impressed and asked you to come on and join the team. Correct, awesome. So, then how long were you with Frank? Uh, just about 10 years. So, I,
1: I did Bilbao, did some work in Korea, did some other projects a uh, big pro- uh, project in cleveland the office was very small at that time i mean we were really 20 people well now it's over 100 and you know clearly the, the bill by was the project architect so that's really where we had a chance to kind of push forward on technology and i mean quite honestly what i found at frank's office i i went to skidmore but i was a generation behind because when skidmore was doing all these amazing buildings they were at the forefront of technology but when i got there they were at a a funny place and, and, and their kind of growth of the firm. And then at Frank's office, it was like, okay, here, here we get to use technology and figure out how to build these really complicated buildings. So I I actually found what I went to Gary's office, what I went to Skidmore for, I actually found Gary's office.
0: Interesting. But isn't it funny that you keep the focus of what you want to find and eventually it finds you (laughs) not always where you're looking, but it finds you because it was important. That's, That's what happened. And when I look at your career and we'll get to some of the highlights and some of the other experiences you've had during your career that you want to share and and that you think other people would really be inspired by. The one thing that strikes me or one of the things that strikes me is that you seem to be a project manager, like extraordinaire, as much as an actual designer and architect. Tell us about that. I mean, am I reading it right when I get to know you through just reading about you?
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that, I mean, that's clearly what I believe an architect should be because I, I think an architect is somebody that, that has all these capabilities. We're like the conductor in the symphony or, you know, the chef, like, like, we need to know everything. And then, of course, we have people that help us get there. I think if, you know, a designer, somebody that does ties or shirts or collars, that's a designer. But I think in architecture, really, for me, like, you need to know how to build buildings. You need to know the technology. You, you need to know everything. And then when you start to manage an office, that adds more. Any good architect, they get, you know, anybody, uh, Frank and Renzo Piano, and it goes on and on, Norman Foster. I mean, they're they're all, it's the design side that is, is in the news, but all these men and women know how to build buildings. And it's just the design side that gets all the press.
0: But project management, and and I'm saying this with great reverence because project management is an extraordinarily important component, if not the most important component on a project and never gets the respect that it's due. <laughs> okay. And it's always kind of looked at like, Oh, project managers, you know, another, another leader on the team. But no, I, I don't think a project manager is that I think the project manager is responsible for really how well the whole project goes, how much you enjoy the project as it goes and how well it's executed. And so drawing and designing I'm hearing you basically say is is only a component of it because if you don't see it through in the field, then you're not going to get the result. Or how would you finish that sentence if you don't project manage it the way you do?
1: No, absolutely. And I mean, it, it starts before that, because especially when we want to push the edge on something and, you know, finding the right people to do that, because they've never done it before, you have to get them excited about it. So anything that you want to do that's a little bit off the beaten path, it takes an incredible amount of work, which is managing the the structure of the team and the people that are involved and keeping everybody energized and on schedule and on budget. So there's no question that we we couldn't do what we do without managing the the kind of team and and the process to get there. And I think, you know, I know how to do that. And that's what's led to some of the success rather than just assuming somebody else will, will do
0: it right. Or just drawing it, designing it and handing it off. Yeah, that I mean if you're if
1: you're doing a box or a, a target store or something that just gets repeated, I mean you can do that. But if if you want to do the type of work we're doing, there's there's no way and we try it without success of, of handing stuff off and it's it'll always not end up in the right
0: place what was an example of trying it you don't have to use anybody's names of course but what would be an example of trying it without success and a lesson that you learned that other people can learn from by hearing your story
1: i mean i I can share one of the the highest level in uh you know it was in in frank's office if you want me to with two buildings that everybody knows that's but it's a perfect example of of that if you, if you up want to,
0: to you. Know, you you use know. whatever names you're yeah. comfortable with but bilbao, i'm all
1: ears i think when we were doing bilbao uh, at the same time the disney Theater hall in los angeles was trying to get built and that one had a local architect mm-hmm. and we were trying to design it and they were going to do the drawings and the whole thing and manage it and it failed i mean they couldn't build it and bilbao what we got to do was was run the whole project all the way through and we designed it and did all the drawings and, and worked with the local architect on, on certain things but I mean, those are two examples of, and then at the end of the day, when we built Bilbao, the concert hall finally came back and said, okay, you guys can draw it and we can figure out how to build it. And that's a pretty relevant example of just not being able to, the, the handoff was difficult.
0: Did it come back to you from the construction company as, Hey guys, this can't be built initially? Uh, not in Bilbao. I mean, that's another fallacy
1: that, you know, in America, sometimes we think that we kind of lead, lead everything, but in Bilbao, we built the building in five years, start to finish. In America, we could even figure out how to build it, the contractors, because it was a digital database, right? It's all done, 3D computers, there's really no drawings, and they could figure that out in Spain, whereas in, uh, here in America, nobody had done it before, the contracts don't work that way, blah, blah, blah. So we're, we're further behind than we think sometimes.
2: And with having so much experience, like all around the world, I mean, do you really feel the difference when you're doing projects in different countries? I mean, you really kind of like, okay, I know we're kind of off the beaten path here. Or we're on the beaten path. Like how, how is that? Yeah. I mean,
1: so we adjust it, you know, for example, in Germany, you can use high tech, you can use machinery, you can print drawings and, or print buildings, do automated form work. And then when we were in Prague, for example, like we knew labor was really cheap. So it would all be done by hand and be done with hand forms and the whole thing. So I think clearly you just adjust for where you're at in the world and, and take, use the technology that's there versus... Thinking that it's the same everywhere. So,
0: you know, it's funny. I, uh, a few years ago, was working with some architects and computer 3D modeling designers from Spain. Yeah. And they were, so I'm in the States and they're here from Spain. And the project was originated from a company in Spain, which brought them here, but it was a project in the US. And what blew me away is they were showing me some technologies that I've never seen before. And they had one where they had the model where it you would hit play from a smartphone and it would literally project onto a surface and be a 3D projection. It was the most incredible thing. I mean, it literally looked like a movie. It looked like Iron Man meets Jurassic Park. Have you seen that?
1: Well, augmented reality now is something that we're starting to use, which is Pretty was this with goggles or without goggles that you?
0: Without goggles, yeah. And it was it literally was like if you took one of those old school pop up little cards where you take the card and you unfold it in half and you lay it on a table and like an accordion like you know we're talking like a hundred years ago right? It's not tech at all. They did that digitally, yeah. So they literally were. Had an, in this case, one of the examples they used to kind of get our attention initially and I think get our respect. And I appreciated their approach to it. It wasn't arrogant in any way, but it, it definitely got our, our attention. Is they, they took this device out and they hit play, and an elephant went running across our desk. <laughs> I mean, honest to God. And it was, the, yeah. it was incredible. Everybody I showed it to, I was showing it to everybody I met for that week, and no one had ever seen anything like it or even believed it existed. So I think Spain's doing some cool things over there that we haven't even gotten yet.
1: No, that's absolutely right. So we can learn from everybody. That's uh, that's a big lesson.
0: Yeah. So what happens after Geary? You're there ten years. You start your firm. What's the first big break that you get? And like when when do things really start to to get exciting? In because you go on your own. No matter how established you are, yeah. it had to be a little scary, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I had uh, four children, but my, I had my fourth son right about that same time. So it was like, okay, we got to make this work. I mean, you have no, there's no turning back. Right. So
0: right. I'll say, yeah. So, I mean, you're so cool, calm and collected. Yeah. I had four kids and I went on on my own and yeah. left Frank Gehry and in the middle of LA with 9 million people competing against me and, you know, but I had to make it work. Well, how'd you yeah. make it work?
1: So, you know, it's all about connections, right? So my first real job that actually came out of that was a project in San Francisco where, Um, the california academy of sciences which is the big museum there it's a planetarium a science museum and an aquarium was uh looking to rebuild the building so one of the person from bilbao had his own company now writing the program so he brought me on to participate and help them develop what the building should be so that was that was a good break that kept me pretty busy and a few people in the office for a couple of years. And then once uh, we went out to, to other international architects, uh, Renzo Piano was, was the one selected. And then I spent the next two or three years with him kind of finishing the building. So that kind of anchored the office. And then we did some other. Projects.
0: That was your break, so to speak. That kind yeah. of got well, the that's wrong.
1: Yeah. It wasn't a kitchen or, an, I mean, I mean, I couldn't do that. Right. I mean, I need, I needed something big. Right. So, um, but that was after I started my office. So I fumbled around for a month or two and that opportunity kind of came up. So, of course, that was... It's, it's all Isn't that
0: around. a big project, though, for someone brand new? They didn't question, like, like hey, why should we give it to you? You're only well, open a couple months.
1: No, no, I mean, this was before just writing the program. So we spent two years. I mean, this is a huge museum. It has hundreds of millions of specimens and 13 research departments. So really just trying to figure out what the new museum should be. So we wrote a pretty extensive document of of just what the new museum had to encompass. So this was pre-architecture and then.
0: Okay. But they hired you for it as opposed to say, Hey, let's find somebody to do it on, you know, on, on future earnings, or, you know, maybe we'll give you the project if we like what you do.
1: Yeah. No, no. I mean, I was, uh, I, I was, I came in with another guy that had had the job and then he brought me on as one of the experts.
0: Oh, great. But yeah. under your own firm. So you could get yeah. the big role. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So then what would be at one point, so you did or are doing the city market of Los Angeles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that a current project?
1: It is. So, you know, that, that's a big project. And we were, we actually came into that project just to help the, it was actually, it was the first uh, produce market in the city of LA in the early 1900s. It had, just, we started that project seventy years ago, maybe more. And it had recently closed because now people were doing direct buy and they didn't really go to the market anymore. It was, it was small for big trucks, blah, blah, blah. So these, Kind of people that you know—they sold carrots and potatoes and ran that whole thing. Decided they wanted to. The city was rezoning a lot of the land around there, so they wanted to protect the development rights. So they brought us in to just help them understand the capacity and the potential for the site. Well, the city, that department went away. It was the CRA in Los Angeles. So the owner says, "Okay, we're going out on our own." So uh, I think had he known better at the time, he wouldn't have done this. But five years later, we finally got it entitled, and it's—we'll uh, be headed out for. These weren't developers that people had on the land since they were just tomato and carrot salesmen. So it will be uh, solicited for developers, and that should happen yet this year.
2: Wow. Where is that located exactly?
1: So it's in the Fashion District, uh, 9th and San Pedro, between 9th and 12th on San Pedro. It's two full blocks. Wow.
2: So what will be the vibe? Will it it be more sort of consumer based or will it be more like businesses coming to like what would be, what's the the goal for it?
1: Yeah. And I mean, the other thing to be aware, so there's city market South. So there was some existing buildings that we saved and it's open right now. And it's, it's got two amazing restaurants and some space to do uh, events and the whole thing. So that, that anchored it. That was our first phase, but the rest actually includes a school, a campus, high rise living includes a hotel, includes office space, medical office space. So it's, it's really a, a truly community, you know.
2: So you oh, building a great a community there. Great. Let me ask you a question. I mean, you're in downtown, so you're ahead of the curve of what's happening here in Los Angeles in terms of vertical living. But you know, I'm here in Beverly Hills in sort of West Hollywood area. It's just exploding with, yeah. with vertical living. I mean, 10 years ago, it was not even remotely close to this. How are you feeling about that? And I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So I did one of the first buildings, you know, 10 years ago, concerto it's called apex downtown now. So we were one of the first and before 2008, I think we built two towers or three in that kind of round. And, and this time around we built, I don't know, 10 or 15 and wow. some buildings, but any, any cycle in Chicago, New York, Boston, I mean, I mean they build more than we just built in LA and, and we built a lot, but so I think high rise living now, I think downtown is established and clearly, people, you know, know it's here and and there's all kinds of different products and condos and apartments. So I think uh, now it's a place to come and a place to be and people are getting used to um, high-rise living in Los Angeles.
2: Okay. And I have a total personal question now from my, not personal for you, but personal for my, you know, wanting to know, okay, so all this vertical living and all this stuff, how do we prepare for the earthquakes? I mean, we just had a few nice earthquakes. Are the newer buildings really equipped? what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, there's no question. I mean, structurally, the codes continue to change. And the structural code is pretty strict. And that's why these buildings cost a lot of money. So I think in LA, you still see building, people building the wood frame buildings because they're so much cheaper than the high-rises. And if you built the same high-rise in a different kind of earthquake zone in Denver or Chicago or Houston... Structurally, it's it's thirty to forty percent less than we do in LA. So they're they're clearly designed for a pretty high level. So Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I I wouldn't worry about a new building. I mean, some of the older buildings probably are more concerning. But
2: what what which are the buildings that we should be more concerned about? Is it the the wood frame house, concrete?
1: Wood frames are fine. I mean, yeah, they just move, and you can see them move in the. the, I mean, I was here in '92 for Northridge, and it's it's really the unreinforced masonry buildings, the brick buildings and or there's a number of concrete buildings that are called non-ductile frames. So which the city now is over 20 years requiring 20, I don't know the time frame requiring owners to come in and upgrade these buildings. But for example, we're in a concrete building downtown and I think it's 15 stories and it's a different kind of structural system before they required what's called a moment frame. So I think it's really some of the older, taller concrete buildings that I think are more concerning. The wood buildings less so
2: like the ones from like the 1960s and stuff yeah, around that or time. Even, or
1: no, or even before, you know, as early as the thirties. So yeah,
2: anyway, up until eighties, probably concern you, you they're more concerning the concrete buildings up until the 80s yeah. yeah 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 so can i mean is there stuff that there is there stuff that can happen now where they can kind of reinforce that i mean i know they have the, to do the retrofitting and stuff but is that really is that just a little band-aid kind of situation no no it's, it's real it's
1: and it's expensive you know yeah. that's why i think it's mandated but it's going to take 20 years and i think it's it's expensive. You know, in a house with the problem, like the houses were really cheap, but the biggest problem with the wood houses was that the houses were falling off the foundations because they built the, the brick or the concrete foundation, but they, they didn't really tie the house to the foundation. Oh God. So that's why they started. So now you can come back in and put plywood and connect the tube. And they sat on these little knee walls and that weren't, had, didn't have any shear kind of capacity. So the house, So that little wall they sat on just tumbled down. So those are pretty easy fixes, but the they yeah. are, you know, clearly more so.
2: And then bringing us to like the new... And, you know, the brand new all bells and whistles kind of really fun new buildings. What are some of like the standard, let's say, luxury over the top things that are standard in buildings now that you're doing that are really cool? Uh, You know, we see these movies with The Rock and they've got all these buildings that have all these cool technology and the building kind of speaks to you. But what what are some like really amazing advanced fun stuff that you're seeing and doing?
1: Yeah, I think the amenities, you know, everybody's expectations of amenities from everything from wine coolers and wine storage to pretty high definition kind of studio quality screening rooms. I think so the shared amenities are are really important to people, you know, and then once you get into the unit technology with the doors and nest thermometers, and you can really control as much as you can from outside of your apartment another thing that's i think at the end of the day i, I think that's the easy part i think the the challenge in, in certain places right now is is really the the service side because i think people there's not a high level of service in some of these buildings and i think so we can get the finishes right and we get the amenities right but you know you need the right doorman and you need the right yeah. you know kind of all of those Visible things and, person to do yeah that, yeah but there's a, a, a new service that actually in one of our projects they have and it's a proprietary business, but there's like four or five people milling around the building. And for $40 a month, you can have them, they'll unpack your dishwasher. They'll run and get groceries for you. Wow. Yeah. And so it's for like $40 that, a
2: month. Yeah. It's
1: pretty inexpensive because they're just like in the building and then you, you know, they'll make your bed. And I mean, it's crazy. Wow. So it's, to me, it's that level of service. Yeah. It was like, once again, we can get the rest and get the pool and the chairs and all sure. that stuff. It's, it's really the service that I think is finally starting to catch up with, with some of those things.
2: It is because that's really, I mean, listen, everybody, you know, everybody's favorite thing is to you know, blend a home with a hotel. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think that that's really the best way. I mean, some of my favorite, which I think are so cool are some of the, You know, like the montage, um, and then they're doing the addition on Sunset, and these buildings that are hotel, and then they've got the units because you've got full access to all the hotel amenities, which I love. I think that's brilliant, and I think that they're exactly like you said, Like you're not seeing enough of those hotel-style amenities in something that doesn't have a hotel attached to it. Like I think they're doing a nice job with 10,000 on Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah. That's pretty high
1: level amenities. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Really high. I mean, it's just, you can't, you can't buy them. They're just rentals. But, um, I think that they're doing a really, really great job and they really, I mean, these older buildings, you see zero, community spaces like they'll yeah. have a little gym in the old building and now it's common practice to have a movie theater and you know have the, all the bells and whistles in the apartments let me ask you with your you know with your newer residential stuff that you're doing how involved in like sort of the creation besides what you're doing in you know the architecture aspect of it. How, um, involved are you in like the AV of the specific unit? Do you come in with ideas and go, Hey, I'd like to see this in there. I mean, how does that, how how are you incorporated into the AV aspect of it?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, if if it's a custom penthouse or something, we're all over it. We we did one downtown and you know, it had a a big wall, a huge two-story wall that moved down in front of the screen. And, you know, I mean, really high tech everywhere so that you can control this from many different places in the unit, included lighting, the TV, sound, the, all the appliances, everything. So this was like at the highest level of, of kind of integration. But that's pretty unique. I mean, I think what, what our normal expectation is that, and, you know, quite honestly, it, it usually comes in too late because I think people still think it about as a secondary thing to, to, mm-hmm. the, to being a primary now because it's all about technology. Sure, um, But I think that, I mean, we, we, since we do a lot of buildings and sometimes our clients, we do more buildings than our clients. So I think we bring knowledge from all these different buildings and try to make sure that they, we share with them up front as much as we know, so that we think about access and door locks and how you get from one place to the other. Without keys and 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 the whole thing, they don't ask us to be involved all
2: the time, but we find our way in. You find your way, you know. It's it's (laughs) and and there's such. I mean, there's it's changing, you know, so rapidly and quickly. And it really is. I mean, God, how incredible to have the just all the amenities that we that we have access to now. Just to have not to have keys and not to be able to come in and know who's coming at your door. I mean, all that stuff. I think is just really crucial with living. I think it's, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think all these things are about taking advantage of technology because I think we can do a lot if we do that. And I think oftentimes it makes it cheaper. I mean, you know, for the landlord, they don't have to do all these keys and have people manage all that stuff. So I think usually technology at some point is clearly is, is makes it uh, more affordable for people, but the construction industry is one of the worst. So that's a whole nother topic how someday we need a disruption in this construction industry because there's too many, people still have to pounding nails and running over each other getting each other's way and they still a lot of times use plans versus computers and plan check is still done with old fashioned plans rather than you go LA City building, right? You take you take a set of plans there and they mark it up by hand. I mean, are you kidding me? Oh my God. To it's this day
0: way. they still do that.
1: They still do that in Los Angeles. It's it's really hard to imagine. Some cities are further ahead than that, but in Los Angeles you still take rolls of drawings.
2: Oh my god. Where is <laughs> what, what city what city is the most like progressive with stuff like that? And I know LA's t- I mean I know LA's difficult. I mean <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know especially like Beverly Hills like you can't, you know, for a single family, you're looking at 2 years before you can get your plans and permits and everything approved. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, and then you're in the coastal zone and that's even more difficult. I think like, like a lot of other countries we have a very international office and the people from Canada, you know, clearly this is 10 years behind those guys and so I'm not sure actually where in America that anybody's any better. I'm sure there are places, but I think once again, other countries are further ahead.
2: They are further
0: ahead. Yeah. And do we're you like do it. Douglas? Do you do much residentially?
2: Uh, you know, we single do a family?
0: lot of the
1: multifamily. We're we're doing a couple single family. We've done a couple single family, but it's a market we want to get into because if you're in LA, oh my God, you're not doing single family residence. So for the right clients we're going to do it. And we're even looking at doing some design build where we're we'll actually be the client and also just build it as a spec home. So we have two projects we're looking at right now for, for that amazing.
2: I went somewhere yesterday. I went to this new house that's just coming on the market, just um, in Beverly Hills, $25 million house. And it's a wellness house. Are okay. you, yeah. you know, about the way it's, yeah. is it the Del- Delanos, the, the one that um, Deepak Chopra and uh, DiCaprio are on the board of, you know? Yes. Sure. Yeah. So it's very cool. I mean, what are your thoughts on that with the lighting and the air and the salt room and all that stuff? Like really you're in a wellness spa you're living, which is, you know, all the elements are there for you. How do you feel about that? And do you, will you, has anybody talked about incorporating that stuff into commercial spaces and buildings? Yeah. I
1: mean, I think there are two things. So at the highest level it's something like that, where it's, it's really over the top and and you touch every button. But, you know, there's just a lot of things you should do just normally on any project, right, that you can just take care of on a a simpler kind of lifestyle and just being good to the environment and and stuff like that. So, I think we do it naturally by just trying to, the materials we use and, you know, all that. And a lot of that is governed in California anyway. But I think some people just can't afford to go all the way to to that level. So, we try to do whatever we can, even at the most fundamental level, just by making smart choices. But I endorse whatever level we can do it at is better for all. It is.
2: It's, it's so important. And I always say you architects, I mean, you really you guys have such an important job because you're designing. I mean, what you are designing and the thoughts that go into what you do literally dictate and frame our lives of where we are for majority of the time. It's being in the right space with the right flow and the right feng shui for a lack of a better way of saying it is really such an important element. And you know, even and then bigger scales like you're doing, building this community in Los Angeles and downtown. I mean, all of that is so Relevant to, I think, our moods and stuff, and that's why I was fascinated by this wellness house because you know they've got the lights that boost your serotonin and make you create your own melatonin and all this kind of stuff. So I think it's so clever to incorporate that stuff into our living habitats.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad it's coming as well. I mean, I, I think yeah, I give you credit for doing that. I mean, I think that's why I like to participate anywhere where I can get my voice out because I think architects aren't very well. I think kind of know what doctors and lawyers and stuff do, but most people don't know what architects do. And I think our impact on, on the environment, you know, I think what I'm trying to do more of is actually get involved in really policy because city planning and uh, zoning and all that don't have enough, you know, it's very uh, academic certain times versus it should mm-hmm. be more, I think architects should be more involved in making some of these decisions. So I, I agree with you.
2: No, I, and I love that. And I'll tell you from having conversations with a handful of architects and really kind of getting to the root of who you guys are and what you guys do. It's really, it's so beyond fascinating. And I can't even tell you, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you, you round a bunch of architects. The common denominator is, is that you all knew what you wanted to do from a very young age. I mean, I just love it. I think yeah. it's so cool. I mean, really, everyone has, I mean, Every time, you know, we were talking to, you know, uh, an amazing architect, it starts off like, I knew when I was really young what I wanted. I mean, it's, I love it. So great. Well, and the
0: follow through, you know, it's one thing to, to have that consistent passion. You're right, Justin. We we're finding that with every successful and really kind of groundbreaking architect we have the pleasure of speaking with, that is the common denominator. And, and, and the first time we heard it, I was shocked. Like somebody at eight knew they wanted to be an architect. Yeah. But now, like hearing it for the third or fourth time, it's really um, extraordinary. Yeah. So, Douglas, before we say goodbye to our our amazing listeners out there, what's next for you? What are you excited about? What, what's coming up next?
1: Yeah, so we're starting to do a little bit more work in the hospitality section. So that uh, pretty got us pretty energized. We're doing a restaurant in Las Vegas, which now has turned into a big foodie town. So we're just trying to figure out how to... Uh, Get that thing move forward. We're doing another one here in L.A. So I think the hospitality side on, on restaurants is something that we're taking on. And then even a new uh, housing project that's similar to what we just talked about. They, it's going to be a, an apartment, but it's going to be run as a hotel. So I think that's another nice mix of, of a project along the L.A. River that's that's pretty exciting. So I think, once again, blending these these kind of project types and, and versus the standalone. So those are three projects that we're, were really... In the middle of right now.
0: And always implementing, it sounds like, new ideas, new approaches, you know, taking what's tried and true, but just kind of pushing the envelope.
1: Yeah, but we always find a piece or two that actually like, we don't do our lobbies and have somebody come in and hang pictures on them. Like, the lobby itself is, is the story, and, you know, we don't need pictures. I mean, it's all about, the lobby has something to do with the, the site and the whole thing, so I think the way we integrate these special features, one of the restaurants we have this thing, it's it's a flower we call it. and it's this very special sculptural piece, but it's really kind of owned and, and related to a lot of the stuff the owner brought to us, and a lot of their ideas. So I think we try to embed these artifacts into projects that just really ground them and, and who they, you know, the whole story and the history of the company or whatever. And I think that that's, that to us is always the exciting part versus like, making a room to kind of decorate.
0: Right. No, that's an awesome approach. And I'm sure the clients, that's why you've been successful is they, they appreciate that because that really speaks in the final result to how much you're in tune with what you're doing this for, who you're doing it for, what the purpose of it is. And, you know, and that's really huge. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here today, Douglas. Um, Douglas Hansen, everyone, you can reach him at www.hansonla.com. That's h-a-n-s-o-n-l-a.com. Thank you again. Thank Douglas. you, Douglas.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. It was great. That was experience. awesome great discussion. Appreciate awesome.
0: It. Well, I'm David Frangioni. He's Justin Lee. And I'm Justin Lee. Yes, we are, you are. I am. I am. Right, I think Just so. Sure. So we are here in and on life, l-i-f-e, luxury and full effect. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for listening. Head on over to luxuryandfulleffect.com to join the conversation, access the show notes and discover more content. Until next time.